We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, welcome this evening. If you'd turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, we've had a nice time praying together, and now we turn our attention to the Word of the Lord to us after we've shared some words toward Him. We're in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. The title of my message is simply Cornelius with an exclamation point after his name. There was a certain man, the Bible says, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to, all, to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So now the gospel has not gone yet en masse to the Gentiles, but Luke is recording here for us how it begins to do so. So we first, in the process of that, we come to the first step, which is that God did a special work in the life of Cornelius. Notice how I put that. God did a special work in the life of Cornelius. It wasn't that Cornelius was some special guy that just came along and uh, all on his own sought God. We'll see that. God made Cornelius into a godly man and then sent an angelic messenger to direct Cornelius to the right person to minister the saving news of Jesus Christ. God did this work, and in that work, he required Cornelius to do some of his own work, some of his own means, as it were. So first, I want to start by looking at the man Cornelius himself in verses 1 to 2. First of all, it's obvious that, that we're talking about a Gentile man here, a Gentile person, okay? Uh, where he's located, his job uh, and he's a devout man, he fears God, so he's a kind of a proselyte here, or maybe not a full proselyte to the Jewish faith, but he is a Gentile. Secondly, it says, besides his name, Cornelius, it says that he is a centurion of the Italian regiment, or cohort, or battalion. In the Roman military, there was, first of all, the legion, the legion was a force of 6,000 men, and therefore we might think of it roughly equal to a division 
in our military terms. In every legion, there were then 10 cohorts. So 6,000 divided by 10, 600 in each cohort, and uh, sort of like a battalion in our own situation. The cohort was further divided into centuries, okay, centuries. So 600 men in a cohort, divide that into six more, you have six centuries. And over each century, you would not be surprised to know that there was a centurion, okay? That's where it comes from, the word, a leader of 100. Uh, so he was like a company commander uh, in uh, our military kind of thought or kind of what we're accustomed to. So Cornelius commanded 100 men. Uh, so that's a, it's a responsible position. It's not a, you know the highest level office in the military, but just pretty good. Uh, there was another guy who was like this in, um, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but it's in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 5. And it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And there was a conversation back and forth, and the man had enough faith to say to Jesus, look, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. Just say the word. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that you know, has a responsible position. I say to this guy, do this, and he goes and does it because he's been taught to obey orders, and I also obey orders. And I tell this other guy the same thing. So, Lord, if you just say the word, I know that what that situation is over there with my servant, it will be obedient to your word. Jesus heard that, and he marveled and said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So Israel is not the only place where faith can be found. Israel was a place where faith should have been found in every single individual in the nation because they had the oracles of God, they had the service of God at the tabernacle, they had, they had the prophets, they had everything. Paul goes through that in Romans chapter 9, either 9 or 10 there. Um, but... Jesus didn't find this kind of faith in Israel. Why not? As they had turned away from him and gone kind of their own route. Uh, it's interesting to me that you have a faithful centurion, Matthew chapter 8. You have a faith-filled centurion in Acts chapter 10. just goes to show that uh, God did have something going on with Gentiles even before Acts chapter 10 and certainly had the plan to do something with the Gentiles after that. Now, back to Cornelius, okay? He was in Caesarea. He was a centurion. He, uh, he also was a devout man. Verse 2 says, a devout man. A, we might say today, a religious or a pious fellow, a reverent man. And all I can say to this is, I, I, you don't have a big definition of it or anything. I think you know what it means, somebody who's a godly person, a decent guy. Oh, for more such men in our society. Oh, for more such men. And oh, for more women who will demand men to be that way instead of just settling for, you know, the kind of stuff that's going on uh, today that passes for manhood or womanhood. Uh, fourthly, he is a God-fearing man. Not just religious, but he's God-fearing. He's not religious, you know, religious uh, Buddhist or religious uh, Confucianism or religious whatever. He is a God-fearing religious man. Personally, he had a profound level of respect for God. 
fifth, he was a God-fearing man with all of his household. <laughs> with all of his household, okay? So I hope that I can say of all of you that are here, you're God-fearing people, that you are so with all of your household, okay? I know not all of your households and all of your extended families believe in Jesus, but we can at least hope for people who respect God, some level, <laughs> um, and so his, his family and his household servants joined him in his respect for God. And you know, they should do that. Because if they have respect for their household master, for their leader, for their head of their home, for their husband, for their father, for their master, if they're one of the servants, then they ought to respect the God that he respects as well. Very uh, important signal that they're re- respecting him uh, as a person also. It makes it tough when you're a Christian and your boss isn't or your master in your home isn't. You want to be respectful toward him, but you have to be ultimately respectful toward God. But certainly it should be the case if a man is respectful toward God that you should sub- sub- submit to that uh, as well and be respectful of it. You know, If he doesn't like you to use bad language, you don't use bad language. You might not be a Christian, but you know, you toe the line. You kind of, you know, show some, show some respect for the man. Um, that's the only right way to be. God-fearing household. It also indicates not only them, the family members toward him, but also it indicates something about his relationship toward the family members, that he's leading them in a proper direction. He's not just saying, oh, anything goes, everything's fine, just do whatever you want to do. No, he's saying, this is how my household is going to be. We're not going to disrespect God. We're not going to take his name in vain. We're not going to use foul language. We're going to be kind to the poor. We're not going to be you know, evil and all those sorts of things. Good teaching, good leadership, good spiritual leadership in the home. We go on and we see more about his character. It says he gave alms generously to the people. He was charitable and very generously so. Now, he doesn't, uh, it's, it doesn't say any limitation here on the Jewish people. Um, you know, there's, uh, in fact, I think it's later on when it talks about his character. I should have looked this up. I was just remembering it right off the top of my head. Um, let's see here. I want to find it. It says in verse 22, there it is. Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel. Okay, so it gives a kind of review again of his character. Cornelius fears God, good reputation among the Jews. So he's got a, a, a reputation for being charitable toward Jewish people. I don't think it's just limited to Jewish people, um, but it certainly seems to be the case that he's generous toward them. These alms that he gives are gifts to the poor and acts of mercy. There's something about a highly positioned officer in the military or a highly positioned person in any place in society stooping to the level of giving alms to the poor. You know what I mean? There's it's something special about somebody who's humble enough at that level, you know, not just like... Whew, Get them out of my sight, you know. But he wants to help them. That's a man of character. 
But he's also, seventhly now, we're on number seven on our list, he is a man of prayer. It says, and he prayed to God always. How about that? First uh, Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, right? Well, here's a guy that's doing just that. Now listen, I know we've gone over this list quickly in just 10 minutes, but here are the characteristics of believers in every age. Review these characteristics to see if your life looks like this, okay? Devout, God-fearing, God-fearing household, generous, giving alms, and a man of prayer. The other characteristics are more about him personally, Gentile and centurion, so I won't count those two, but... These characteristics. Now, this guy was a first century Roman soldier. No Bible, no gospel, no church as we have today. And he wasn't even a Christian yet. This guy behaves better than a lot of Christians do. (laughs) You know? Uh, We don't have any excuse, do we? We've got all those resources that are available to us and with the teaching and the church and the preaching every week and the prayer times together and the Bible and all of that stuff, and he had really none of that. Maybe he had a little Hebrew Bible, but, you know, does he know Hebrew? He's maybe a little bit. Wow, this guy is something else. Now, the era that Acts is recording here is a transitional era between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Cornelius evidently knew some of the Old Covenant and followed what he could. His disposition toward God, however, was divinely given, not self-generated. But listen, when God gives somebody righteousness, it's their righteousness after he gives it to them. So really, Cornelius is a righteous man. Okay, God grants you righteousness, it's yours. He was a good man. Okay, We should be also a good person and not just excuse ourselves and say, well, I'm a sinner. Well, you're a sinner saved by grace, a sinner that's made righteous before God. Now, as we read on, we're going to see that his righteousness was incomplete. God required something more of him. How do I know that? Because he sent an angel to tell him, you've got to do something. You've got to call for somebody else to give you some information. It was not sufficient to be somewhat influenced by the principles of godliness or to have some devout religious practices. Okay, But don't take me to be uh, disrespecting Cornelius here. Don't get me wrong. I would rather have a world full of people like Cornelius than a world full of a lot of the kind of people we have today. Okay, Even if he wasn't a full-blooded Christian, at least he was good. But you know, far better than a world full of pagan idolaters to have a world full of Corneliuses. But having his form of godliness, as good as it was, lacks the true power to transform the inner character and, and, and the forgiving and justifying power of the gospel of the cross of Christ. The good influence of Christianity in the world is not just because of good moral teachings, but because of people transformed by those teachings into good people. Okay? So something more is required. As good as Cornelius' setup was, God had more for him. 
Okay, so don't be satisfied if you're saying, well, I'm just I'm in a Christianized society. I want to have, you know, have the goodness, the good kind of the goodies from Christianity, the you know, the nice the niceness of people and 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 all the lawfulness and all those sorts of things and I'll be happy. No, you need something more than that. God commands Cornelius, send for somebody to tell you. So, in the afternoon one day, an angel of God, this says about the ninth hour, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, starting at 6 in the morning, according to their reckoning of time. I believe that's the Roman reckoning. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God. Now, in the King James Version, it says, evidently at the ninth hour. That's a poor translation. The evidently is where we get the word clear from here. It wasn't evidently the ninth hour like, oh, maybe it was the ninth hour. No, it was at the ninth hour, God made evident to him an angel. Okay, It was clearly displayed to him. It was distinct, plain, open that he was looking at an angel. Uh, something that he was, saw in a, what is it, in a vision. See that in verse 3? He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God. Now, a vision is something you see with your eyes. It wasn't in a dream state. It was awake during the day. I believe Cornelius' eyes were really seeing this angel who really was there. Okay, It wasn't a phantom or um, what do they call those? A holograph, hologram, holograph, whatever that is. Now, what do you suppose is going on if God sends an angel to do <laughs> something big is happening. When God sends an angel, something big is about to happen. Something very unusual is about to occur. He did it with Mary. He did it with Zacharias. He did it with Joseph several times as he led his family, that, that young man responsible for an even younger woman and a baby and saving their lives. He gave himself to that task. That's amazing just to think about that Christmas story and the upbringing that he put, he brought the family through. Um, in this case, it portends a major shift in God's program from Jew to Gentile. Focus. Cornelius was, as anyone would be, afraid. Uh, even an experienced soldier such as himself. You know, the soldiers at the, at the tomb I was just reading maybe a couple days ago or yesterday, what did the soldiers at the tomb of Jesus do? They shook for fear and became like dead men. Okay? It doesn't matter that they're you know, big tough guys and have their swords and all that sort of stuff and their shields, spears and everything. No, it doesn't matter. If you see an angel, no sword or spear is going to do anything against an angel. Cornelius was afraid. He asked, what is this about? He addressed the angel as, notice he addressed the angel as Lord, L-O-R-D, the Bible wisely does not capitalize that word Lord because he's using it in the formal sense of sir. Sometimes kurios means Lord, sometimes it means sir, and sometimes it's difficult to ascertain which it means in a particular context in the Bible, if it's Lord or if it's sir. Uh, usually, uh, all, most of the time when it refers to Jesus or God, we say Lord with a capital L, but then there are some cases where the person who is saying it may not realize to whom they're speaking. And so they might just be thinking in their head, lowercase l-o-r-d, when it's really uppercase l-o-r-d that they're talking to. But 
uh, that's a detail for another time whenever we run into it in our Bible reading. The angel rehearsed a, a fact here. He said, uh, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, your deeds of charity have, has, have come up as a memorial before God. God sees those. God was pleased with them. Now, when it says a memorial before God, it's, it refers to those acts as offerings to God, which God remembered. Now, when God remembers, it doesn't mean that he sometimes forgets. <laughs> he never forgets. But it means that God took notice and did something about those offerings of worship. Like when we pray, Lord, remember so-and-so. It's not meaning don't forget them. It's meaning can you do something for them? You know, like uh, when it's just like this. When somebody says, so-and-so was remembered in uncle's, you know, the uncle's will. The uncle remembered so-and-so in his will. What does that mean? He remembered him. You know, just says, I recollect you, you know, congratulations. <laughs> no, he gave him some money or property out of that will. So God remembering something about those offerings of worship. Now, obviously, um, well, Cornelius is not yet a full Christian, okay? He's like some of the others in the book of Acts where we're in this transitional period and you're know, kind of a little confused as to what's going on and because there's change and, and the gospel message hasn't gone out to all the world yet, hardly to any Gentiles at all. I mean, we have the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8, and so on. But um, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Well, Technically, Cornelius is not a Christian, but notice he is a devout, God-fearing man. He was a believer in the Old Testament sense, I think, for, the, for a practical purposes. We could, I don't think we can say anything against that. We would err by simplistically answering that God never hears the prayers of somebody who's not a Christian. God can, does, hear, generally... You know, like Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Generally true. But then you look at prayer of faith, repentant faith, jo Jonah 3, 8, the Ninevites respond to Jonah's message by calling on the Lord to change his plan to destroy them, and he did change that plan, as it were, from the human perspective, it seemed, anyway. Um, but it doesn't appear here to me that it's, this is a, a, a really good kind of place to, to, I don't know, criticize the prayer of an unbeliever because Cornelius was not an unbeliever in the pagan sense. You know, he wasn't some guy, some atheist that just jumped in a foxhole and said, oh, God, help me. Like, you know, it's a little late, buddy. <laughs> you know, why do you start believing in God now? Uh, he wasn't that way. He was a devout, God-fearing man, an Old Testament believer, not up to speed fully on the New Testament doctrine of Christianity because he couldn't be, but there, there was something missing in his life, and the angel went on to tell him uh, what that exactly was. So God heard his prayers, saw his alms, appreciated those good works, knew that he feared God, and so on. The angel then describes where uh, Cornelius is going to find this gentleman. He says, send men to Joppa. For Simon, who is Peter, 
And where he's living, he's living with another guy named Simon, who's a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Okay, so with those six clues, could you find somebody in some city? Probably you might have to knock on a few doors and, and, and hunt around, you know, no, no phone directory or anything like that at this time, so you've got to do some talking. But yeah, he could do that. So uh, that would narrow the search field considerably and speed it up considerably to have that information. Now, this kind of situation is quite unique. Does God send a messenger to every seeker? Uh, a problem with the, the question is one of the premises in the question. The, the premise is, uh, what, what is a seeker? You know, the, the assumption is that everybody that seeks is the kind of seeker that God should, should respond to. This seeker was a devout Old Testament saved kind of individual. But the seeker today, people want to talk about seekers today, you know, going around the world trying to find themselves and find you know, something to believe in. Uh, maybe just a, a pagan atheist who has his own idols and seeks his truth, truth as his own version of truth and, and has absolutely no connection to the true God. In this sense, Romans 3.11 is talking about there is none who seeks after God. So the fact that Cornelius is seeking after the true God indicates something else has gone on already, and that is that God has worked in this man's heart and opened up the door of faith to him. Now, another question that you might ask is, why didn't God just cut to the chase here and have the angel tell the message of the gospel? That would be convenient enough, I suppose. But God has decided to use human means to propagate the gospel. See the Great Commission. God, Jesus says, all authority is given to me, now you go. You tell, you make disciples, you baptize them, you teach them everything that I have commanded you. And what I would say is that God decided to do it that way and has here disciplined himself, could I say it that way, to not short-circuit that process. This method seems to be in keeping with God's shunning of sensationalism. You know, you go sending angels all around the world preaching the gospel. Well, that's great and dramatic and all that sort of stuff. But it's not how God works. It also highlights God's glory in that he can transmit the most glorious message through the most frail of vessels. Isn't that interesting? God can transmit the gospel through frail vessels. How many times have you tried to share the gospel with somebody and you don't know quite how to say it, what to say, what words to use? You get tongue-tied. You can't answer a question. You don't know. The... God uses jars of clay in order to hold and transmit the gospel. Also, the human messenger is the only one who can bring the gospel message who has personally experienced its benefits. No angel, a good angel hasn't sinned. They don't, God didn't send Jesus to die for angels. They don't get saved. So how do they know what it's like? Well, I know what it's like. You know what it's like to be a sinner and then to have God intervene in your life and make you into a saint. Well, then you can share the message from first-person experience. That's pretty good. Angels can't do that. The 
Yeah, yeah. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, question that our brother brings up is, is, is there anywhere else in the Bible where an angel does bring the message? There is a place in the book of Revelation where you have the angel flying in mid-heaven proclaiming the, ever, the, the, the everlasting gospel or something like that to the inhabitants of the earth. But it's kind of like, you know, whoa, <laughs> You know, two more woes are coming and, and all that sort of thing. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, but generally, uh, as I recall, we don't see that. Uh, you could think about that. Let's, let's hunt around and see. I'm not thinking of one. There's probably some, you know, if there is one, it's some obvious situation. that's like, oh, duh, I should have thought of that. But uh, interesting. God uses human messengers in general. Now, here's another question. What happens to someone who is God-fearing but has not heard the gospel. What does God do with that person? Well, here's the answer. If that person is truly God-fearing, not just religious, but truly God-fearing, that disposition itself was gifted to them by God. God's already been working in that person's life. He will ensure that they encounter the good news of Jesus. In this case, God chose to send an angel to kickstart the process, just kind of give Cornelius a hint, like, here, go this way. <laughs> you know, the, the, the right way through the maze is over this way, not over that way. Um, but today that will not be the case, although, listen, I'm, I'm not saying God cannot, I'm just saying God has chosen generally not to. Normally, God works through normal, regular human means. So, for example, if we had a modern Cornelius... What's going to happen with a modern Cornelius? Well, somebody's going to run into him like our sister ran into somebody on campus today and had an hour-long conversation. He can, uh, you know, he's going to run into somebody that mentions he's a Christian. Oh, he's going to start thinking, what does that mean? He's going to go look it up online. He's going to go buy a Bible in a bookstore. He's going to go download one from the app store. He's going to decide to attend church in the area and come to Fellowship Bible and say, what are these people all about? Let me ask them some question. These run-of-the-mill means are no less special than an angel showing up on your doorstep because we're giving the gospel message, which in this case the angel didn't even give. And as one of our uh, pastor friends has said, very interesting, I, would, I, I will take God's weaving together of the normal means any day of the week, as opposed to a special intervention of God. Yeah, God can send an angel, you know, one step and done. But God has woven to get a greater miracle. God has woven together all of the events, timing, persons, situations, circumstances, and people's lives so that he can take one person from one nation. Perfect example tonight halfway across the world, and run into another person in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who we've never met before, and share the gospel with them. How does that happen? It's not just an accident. It's God who has woven together all of the circumstances of life 
That's almost a greater miracle, isn't it, than just sending an angel to say the word? Very complicated network of interactions of humanity, but God easily manages all of it. Now, we have to close uh, off here. Cornelius obeys the Lord, verses 7 to 8. He sends three reliable men to go fetch Peter. Now, this man must have been a man of great stature. We already know that. We saw that, but this even highlights it because he has three close personal attendants, two servants and a soldier. And and actually, notice this. It says he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. Did you notice that, a devout soldier, another devout guy, another devout Roman guy? Um. You know, I don't know if this devout soldier underneath him in his, in his century, uh, you know, if his, in his contract was included, you know, go on religious errands for master, for, for centurion, but I don't think they cared about that stuff in those days, uh, that kind of way. But he sent them. The soldier as a devout man, same word that describes Cornelius in verse 1. So Cornelius had a man or men under his command who were of godly character. It's interesting that even in the Roman army, there were godly people. God has them everywhere. You know, I've, I've known because of a particular connection that I have of people highly placed in the United States government over the years that are Christian people. You never hear about them. Sometimes you hear about them, but... Uh, God has placed them there like Daniel's and like Joseph's in order to influence the policies and the decisions of the leaders in the nation. So Cornelius, uh, oh, and by the way, I should say this. You know, if you're a devout soldier like this man here in verse 7 or a devout leader like uh, Cornelius is, what a privilege it would be for you to be assigned to the group that goes to Israel. I mean, maybe he's from Rome. He's in the Italian regiment. So he goes out there and they're saying, okay, you go to Rome. He's like, oh man, I get to go, I mean, to Israel. I get to go to Israel and be a soldier there. That's cool. So Cornelius relayed to his men what the angel had revealed him to do. And uh, he has sent, sends these guys off to Joppa. Now Joppa was 35 miles, okay? A little jaunt for us in the car. 35, 40, 50 minutes at most, but for Cornelius' guys, it would probably realistically take two days and then a couple days to come back. So this is, you know, the better part of a week uh, to consume just in travel. Notice that Cornelius was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, just like Paul in Acts 26, 19 says, he sent the men immediately to Joppa and had them do what he wanted them to do. Likewise, by way of application, we ought to be immediately obedient to what God tells us. You know that this book right here, that's on my preaching platform, this book, The Word of God, is equivalent, in fact, even more than an angel coming to us and telling us to do something? Ponder that for a minute. If a prophet came right out of heaven and told you X, Y, Z from God, I mean, and you knew it was a prophet and it wasn't just, you know, a bad dream or something like that. That word that was brought from heaven is just like this. This is that word. Prophets and angels and God and Jesus 
And the apostle is speaking to us. If these guys aren't disobedient to the heavenly vision, well, we better not be disobedient either. It's a big thing. God's word, not man's word. We must obey. Cornelius is a great example. He was godly. He obeyed the Lord. He did so against the grain of a pagan society and a, and a military job. He was serious about God. He wasn't playing around with religion. Today, there's no need for the other character in our story, the angel. The good news is spread abroad far enough that if somebody's interested, they can go to church, send an email, visit on a Sunday, go to a website, even write a letter and send it to the postal service to tell them about what Jesus has done for them. That's what's going to happen in the next verses, Acts 10, 9 and following. Father, as we close tonight, I pray that you would help us to be more like Cornelius, even in his pre-Christian state, a very good man. And I pray that we will be good people as well, but Lord, that we will be also obedient to your word without excuse. Uh, Help us to be energetic in that. Pray your blessing on each one of these here, those that are watching tonight online or afterwards, that they might have gotten some little blessing out of this message this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.